Hello, fellow stars in the sky and on the ground and below our feet and <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Welcome to the 88. I am Dan Unaki Dan. And I'm Morgan. How's it going today, Morgan? How you doing, babe? I'm good. How are you? Excellent day. Today we got four fabulous constellations for you. I'm doing Aquila and Aries. And what are you doing today, Morgan? Ara and um, Argo Navis. Oh, is that in the navel or in the navy? <laughs> Funny you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> It's the ship. It's the ship at the center of the Tootsie Roll Pop. Um, yeah, it's a ship, but it's missing a few pieces. Mm. Well, can we put it back together? No. Damn it! So it's like Legos. <laughs> Once they're broken, there's like no getting it back together. That would like involve the manipulation of space. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. We, we and we can't manipulate space. I mean, no, it's ever expanding it, right? Fucking fine now. It's just our mind. I don't expansion. know, man. I'm in the here and now. In the here I'm now. happy to be here in the here and now. Okay. Yeah. Well, first up, I got Aquila. Aquila? Aquila? How should I pronounce that? Aquila. Aquila. Okay. Tomato, tomato. Aquila. A Q U I L A. Aquila constellation is located in the northern sky on the celestial equator. The constellation's name means the eagle. Remember the mythology of, uh, what the fuck was that? Ganymede? Um, uh, that was about Zeus becoming the eagle and sweeping up Ganymede. Um, the constellation represents the eagle of the god Jupiter in Roman mythology. It was first cataloged by the Greek astronomer Ptolemy in the second century. The eagle constellation is easy to spot, flying opposite the celestial swan, which is Cygnus. Altair, the constellation's bright star, forms a prominent asterism known as the Summer Triangle with the luminaries of Cygnus, Deneb, and Lyra Vega. Aquila is home to Altair, the 12th brightest star in the sky, and one of our nearest brightest neighbors. Tarzad, Tarzad, Gamma Aquilae, an orange bright giant, and ETA Aquilae, or Eta, a variable white supergiant. The constellation also contains several interesting deep sky objects. The planetary nebulae NGC, 6803, quite a few NGCs here, um, and the Phantom Streak Nebula, 
NGC 6741. The open clusters NGC 6709 and NGC 6755 and the dark nebula. Uh, a few facts is Aquila is the 22nd biggest star constellation in the sky, occupying an area of 652 square degrees in the fourth quadrant of the northern hemisphere. It can be seen at latitudes plus 90 and negative 75 degrees. The neighboring constellations are Aquarius, Capricornus, Delphinus, Hercules, Ophiuchus, Sagitta, Sagittarius, uh, Scutum, and Serpens Cauda. It's a very interesting constellation. It's like right directly in the middle of all of these different ones. Um, it's like not just next to it. It's like in between them all. Uh, the constellation name Aquila is pronounced Aquila. In English, the constellation is known as the eagle. The genitive form of Aquila used in star names is Aquilae. Uh, the three-letter abbreviation adopted by the IAU in 1922 is AQL. Aquila is one of the 15 equatorial constellations. It has three stars brighter than magnitude 3.0 of 3.0 and two stars located within 10 parsecs of Earth, which is 32.6 light years. The brightest star in the constellation. Hmm. Yeah. The brightest star in the constellation is Altair. Now, Altair is an interesting word. It reminds me of an altar. I'm not sure if it is or not, but um, the con uh, brightest star in the constellation, um, Altair Alpha Aquilae, which is also the 12th brightest star in the sky. That's pretty interesting. Altair is also the nearest star in Aquila at a distance of only 16.77 light years from Earth. That's just a hop, skip, and a jump. Aquila has nine stars with known <laughs> planets. HD 179079, a G-type subgiant, uh, has an orbiting planet that was discovered in 2009, has two planets discovered in 2005 and 8. Uh, Z or Xi Xi Aquilae, a red clump giant, also named known by the name Lipertos, has a confirmed exoplanet named Fortitudo that was discovered in 2008, a planet orbiting the star uh, HD 1922-63, an orange dwarf was discovered on September 28, 1999, and one orbiting a yellow subgiant was announced in April. Other stars with confirmed planets include Carrot, or Korot, C-O-R-O-T-10, and Korot-8. I like saying Carrot better, but... Uh, what Do you know what Korot... Korot. Do you know what that stands for? C-O-R-O-T? You have any idea? No, I don't. Me neither. It's not highlighted either, so I can't yeah. click on it and find out. But uh, Aquila contains eight named stars. The proper names of the stars that have been officially approved by the IAU are Alshane, Altair, Chachia, Libertus, 
or Libertas, Ocab, Petra, Phoenicia, and Tarazid. Aquila does not contain any Messier objects. There are two meteor showers associated with the constellation, the June Aquilids and the Epsilon Aquilids. Uh, Aquila belongs to the Hercules family of constellations, together with Ara, Centaurus, Corona, Australis, Corvus, Crater, Crux, Cygnus, Hercules, Hydra, Lupus, Lupus, Lyra, Ophiuchus, Sagitta, Scutum, Serpens, Sextons, Triangulum, Australe, and Volpecula. That's quite a few, huh? Interesting that yeah. Hercules. How many? How many were there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. That's pretty. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. There is an Aquila myth. In Greek mythology, Aquila is identified as the eagle that carried Zeus's thunderbolts and was once dispatched by the god to carry Ganymede, the young Trojan boy Zeus desired, to Olympus to be the cup bearer of the gods. Ganymede is represented by the neighboring constellation Aquarius. So we did that last episode. In another story, the eagle is found guarding the arrow of Eros, represented by the constellation mm. Sagitta, which hit Zeus and made him love struck. This is kind of like Cupid's arrow here, huh? Yep. And yet another myth, Aquila represented Aphrodite, disguised as an mm -hmm. eagle, pretending to pursue Zeus in the form of a swan, so that Zeus's love interest, the goddess Nemesis, would give him shelter. In the story, Zeus later placed the images of the eagle and the swan among the stars to commemorate the event. The name of the brightest yes, star. Yes. Go ahead. I was going to say that's like, um, so that story appears in like a lot of different forms. And, um, the swan sometimes being substituted for those of the eagle, but Lyra becoming the weaving sisters. So I thought that was pretty, like, really cool. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. The magpie's bridge. Oh. Mm hmm. All right. Magpie. The name of the Ugh. brightest star in the constellation. <laughs> Altair is derived from the Arabic al-Nasr Altair, which means flying eagle or vulture. Ptolemy called the star Atis, which is Latin for eagle. Similarly, both Babylonians and Sumerians called Altair the eagle star. Um, so I kind of went over all the major stars in there. But I'll just list them all. The major stars in Aquila are Altair, Alshane, Tarazed, Deneb El Okab, Deneb El Okab. I don't know why I put it twice. Epsilon Aquilae and Zeta Aquilae. Bezek, Tazin Fu. 
Altalamein, um, which is Lota Aquilae, and there's another Altalamein, which is Lambda Aquilae. 15 Aquilae, Soki, which is Rho Aquilae, and uh, some deep sky objects in Aquilae are the Phantom Streak Nebula, uh, the E Nebula, NGC 6755, some more NGCs, uh, the Glowing Eye Nebula. Let's read this one. Ooh. Which is NGC 6751, also known as the Glowing Eye Nebula, is a planetary nebula about 0.8 light years in diameter, which is about 600 times the size of the solar system. In April 2000, an image of the nebula was selected to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the Hubble Space Telescope in orbit. The glowing eye Jesus. lies at an approximate distance of 6,500 light years from Earth and has a visual magnitude of 11.9. It can be seen 1.1 degrees south of the star Lambda Aquilae. The nebula occupies 0.43 of the apparent sky. It expands at a speed of 40 kilometers per second. That's Jesus. cool. There's, uh, there's a picture of it here on the website. I'm sure you guys can type in though the glowing eye nebula and it will pop up. It looks like a big old fucking bright eye. It's even got the little <laughs> red uh red marks in the whites. And it's got it kind of looks like a blue eye too, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's depending on like what time the picture was taken it changes colors mm. or mine do too i've got the same things going on over here <laughs> i'm talking about the nebula not your actual eyes yeah me too <laughs> uh, then there's some other ngcs and i see i'm not going to read all the ngcs because they're not very obviously um Super well known. Uh, but that pretty much does it for Aquila. Uh, that's all that I got for that one. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so. <laughs> I just figured. Um, We'd start like, you know, uh, so Aura is in, it's in the, it's a Southern constellation between uh, Scorpius Telescopium and Triangulum Australia, Australia, anyway, however you pronounce that. Um, but it also is uh, a part of the Norma Nylocedar that we brought up um from the last episode as well uh so that seems to be an important like part of the southern celestial hemisphere the more that i'm like going into it i suppose so i figured i'd mention that 
Um, it has eight main stars, um, and it crosses the northwest. Uh, the Milky Way crosses are at the northwest part. Um, it has seven star systems with sun-like host planets. Um, and they are Alpha RA. It's a blue and white color. Um, main sequence star, 2.95 magnitude, uh, 9.6 times the mass of the sun. And it's a B star, which is a um, distinctive, forbidden, neutral, or like low ionization like a low ionization type of a star. So um it it uh either if it's a B star it will um it'll absorb and it'll show it like an absorption of uh, like a circumference of gas around it. And if it's a B E um star it it'll it won't show it, but it'll have like black absorption around it, uh, like due to a cir- circumstellar disk of gas. So anyway, I thought I'd mention that. I don't know why, but um, there a B star so around Uranus. They're probably all over Uranus. <sighs> Everything points to Uranus. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, the, that's a shitty thing to say. Also, I know <laughs> nobody likes the truth. Anyway, so it's also a circumstellar envelope, meaning it's a a, a part of the star that has a roughly spherical shape and is not uh, gravitationally bound to the star core. So it's formed from like a dense stellar wind. And it's a protoplanetary nebula. Oh, so anyway, uh, Alpha RA is is both of those, and that's I think that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Beta RA is an orange, uh, a super orange giant, uh, six hundred and fifty light years from Earth, uh, two point eight five magnitude. Um, it's so it's a brighter star than Alpha RA, and so you'll also find that like around the southern hemisphere as well. That, um, like Greeks often uh did their you know letters in a certain like numerical system, you know, Alpha through Omega, uh, but like uh, the brightest stars tend to be like the second or third ones when you're dealing with the Southern hemisphere, like the alpha ones aren't, which is weird. Um, Anyway, the third is Zeta RA. It's the third brightest star with a 3.13 magnitude and it's an orange giant of spectacle type K3111. Um, and it is swollen to diameter 118 times the size of the sun, and it is seven to eight times the mass of the sun. So also, it just seems to be like an orange star and then a blue and white star, orange, blue and white, orange, blue and white, which is crazy too. Um, Anyway, the fourth one is Delta. It's a blue and white star. Um, 
It's a magnitude 3.6, 198, give or take four light years from the Earth. It's 3.56 times the mass of the sun. The fifth is Epsilon RA, which is an orange giant. It's a magnitude 4.1, 360, give or take light years from the Earth. It's also an envelope um, star, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and it's also uh, close to the heart of the Milky Way, which is Eta RA. It's also an orange giant at 3.76 magnitude, uh, 299, give or take five light years from Earth. This star is 5 billion years old, which I think is freaking fascinating. Now, I don't know how they know that or what have you, but that's amazing. Um, it has um, 1.12 times the mass of the sun in its out. And it has an outer envelope, and it's uh, 40 times the sun radi- the sun's radius. So it takes 11 years to complete one rotation around the sun, give or take, like, some time. But anyway, uh, and it also has two spiral galaxies coming off of it, which is also pretty amazing. Um, they're visible to the eye. Uh, so number seven is GX three three nine four, which is a massive black hole. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's a low mass black hole. <laughs> uh, five point eight solar masses. Uh, and it flares from time to time. <laughs> it's got hemorrhoids. But. Yeah, most definitely. I wonder where those mothers... I wonder where they go. I used to have hemorrhoids. You know what I mean? That's insane. I don't anymore, but Uh, I I had a kidney stone. Where'd they go? I had a kidney stone once, and the fucking doctors put me on... uh, What is it called? Uh, Witch hazel? (laughs) No, no, no. Well, yeah, I used some of that, too. But uh, it was uh, Percocet. And those things will fucking clog your ass up. And it, yeah, it clogged me it up. It caused you bad. to have hemorrhoids. And it made me have Do you think that's why, like, they started an opioid epidemic? Probably. To, like, shut these black holes up. They're like, <laughs> fuck, we're trying to, like, reach the speed of light here. <laughs> but I, 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 used to call, I used to call my uh, hemorrhoids Harold and Kumar. That's disgusting. Um, <laughs> it, we're not going to White Castle over here. That was so, my, my uh, uh, you know, name for him so that I didn't have to say hemorrhoids. I'd just say Harold and Kumar are fucking irritating me right now. Acting up. Yeah. They're trying to go to White Castle. <laughs> the White Porcelain so Castle. Also, they, that's... <laughs> The throne room. Uh, well, also, like, something weird about the altar. It has exoplanets, um, such Sorry. as Mu Are. Sorry. Mu Are. Uh, <laughs> um, so, it's a sun-like star that hosts four planets. They're Jupiter-like. 
So that means they're like gaseous <laughs> and hot. <laughs> um, and also, oh, also there's a stingray nebula, I guess, um, that formed in 2010, which is freaking cool. I've got this pulled up, but yeah, how all this stuff just forms out of like, because then we're going to get into the so I got to keep going because all right so the thing about um aura is kind of crazy uh so it is the altar and um in France they known it as incensoir uh so there's you know, obviously poems written about it or what have you, because that's how they mm-hmm. talked back then. But uh, Aratos described it as the scorpion in the south, which uh, the altar hangs. And he continues to write more about it, which I'll quote him more throughout this um, uh, constellation, just so I don't have to refer back to this in a second. But anyway, so uh, it's also known as the altar of Dionysus. Ara Centauri, um, Altarium, Sacrarium, Sacris, Axera, the small altar on which the incense burned uh, before the dead, Batilius, an incense pan, Puranium Conceptualum, uh, Focus, and then this is like where things get weird for me. And Ignatia, Ignace, Ignatia Bloom. So anything that's like Sumbaloom or anything in that, like those types of terms is just like a form of um, applying like forces that you don't really understand to uh, what you're saying like giving what you're saying power. So that's like kind of where I'm, it's kind of dicey to me to know that they call the hearth uh, that, like the altar, that's another name for the altar, which they say it means the hearth, but I just don't know. Anyway, so uh, they also say it's a sensor where the votive plant was burned. So I guess that was like, a, they're all looking for like the, the symbol of life or like the the fountain of youth or the reason mm. of life or you know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. is like a huge thing that's like important to a lot of people, apparently. Um, so uh it, it's so important that Aratos like made 28 extra spaces to uh like 28 different lines in his phenomenia to add character to this constellation. Uh, that's a lot of freaking space, like figuratively and literally. And, you know, the, the list goes up on the logos with that. But uh, so it represented the altars raised by Moses, the permanent golden one who was in the temple or the temple of Noah erected after the deluge. And uh, the Afrasian research, it shows a stellar altar differently located, which um, they say was probably the last zodiacal sign represented by the claws. Cause you know, when like um, 
the constellation, you know, you change the constellation and it changes things around. So that's when the, that's uh, the last one uh, where the, the cr- like where the crab was formed, like right before it was formed or maybe right afterwards. Either way, um, it was represented in the uh, Tolku a month of the Akkadian. So uh, it was like, so it was represented by the claws and then afterward was balance. So um, that was the sign of the seventh Akkadian month was called Tulku, T-U-L-K-U. So um, that's just like a, It'll show because that's how it shows you that it has been moved. Like that's where it was when it was originally, uh, uh, guess you could say, catastrophized in the mm-hmm. sky because the Acadians already had a story about it. You know what I mean? But so it was recollected and then moved away and then brought to the southern hemisphere. Um. And uh, Manelaus calls it like um, a recollection for the account of Babel or like a Mundi Templum, just like a, you know, Mundi Templum. Uh, Vero calls it a division of the sky. Um, and it's interesting enough, it, the horizon of it is at 23 degrees latitude, uh, which Aratos was like he was saying it's going to be at the horizon of new york city Mm -hmm. uh so yeah so yeah the famed culmination actually happens on uh july 24th right above new york city uh the horizon at city hall at 40 42 43 uh so according to lalonde um what was supposed to be formed here. And I find this extremely interesting. Instead of it being the altar, it was uh, supposed to be the Sinocephalus on the Egyptian sphere. That's what it was supposed to be. Um, But it's not because, you know, constellations keep moving and changing. The sign of what? The sign of what? Sign of Cephalus, like the half man dog. Oh, okay. You know, Cephalus. I don't know if I'm, I don't want to say it wrong. So uh, it sounds like you said syphilis. <laughs> so I was like, what the fuck? So, I smell syphilis. <laughs> it's funny. Sign of Cephalus. If you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just because, like, the, your smell is, like, one of your last senses to develop, like, fully, you know? So, it's, um, you know, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I think everything is everything. So, anyway, let's go. Let's go. Everything ahead. is everything. Um, so Hygienius wrote in 1488 that it was an altar in which flames ascend with demons on either side. 
an altar uh, in which demons thrusting little ones into the abyss. I'm not even going to go into that. Don't worry. It's Job's punishment of defeated of defeated Titans after he raised the altar and being at war with the Titans and God needed an altar in heaven for mutual vows. So according to Manolaus, uh, they raised this altar in the form of peers with incense loaded, adorned with stars. And then later on, he says, Ara, Ferens, uh, Turis, Delis, M. Imitanibus Ignatium. So I'll look that up, and basically it means enduring tower or city with the stars imitating fire. Wow. So it's, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so it's shown in an inverted uh, position in the southern constellation, and clearly, like the Sinocephalus or I smell syphilis. The Sinocephalus. Uh, it's a jet. Yeah. It's a jackal, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Like, it could be a jackal, like, you know, like an inverted. Because it's syphilis and a know, jackal. An ape dog <laughs> on a human body, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that that was pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, it's either a pit, an altar, a sacred place, or like a whole bunch of summoning of some shit we don't even know about going on. Mm. Summoning demons from the depths of the abyss with your children. Yeah, I'm not even going to go there because all roads actually lead to that, but we won't go there. So why don't you proceed with Aries? This will be fun. Aries is a super giant constellation. I mean, it's actually a really small constellation, but there's a lot to say about it. A lot of mythology, a lot of stories uh, from all over the world. I'm excited. I found a really great um, article that breaks down uh all kinds of different places, Egypt and Babylon and stuff. So we'll get into Aries. Aries constellation is located in the Northern hemisphere. Its name means the Ram in Latin. The symbol for the constellation is the Aries symbol. You know what it looks like. I can't show it to you. And it represents a Ram's horns. Uh, kind of looks like Tesla. Um, Aries. Doesn't it look like a uterus? <laughs> yes, it also looks like a uterus. Um, Aries, the constellation is spelled A-R-I-E-S. And Aries, the god, um, is spelled A-R-E-S. Uh, right? No. A-E-R-E-S? Yeah. I think that's what it is. Anyways, there's two different spellings. And... <laughs> Uh, There's a million different gods. Yeah, but so, but it means ram in uh, the other way that it's spelled um, in Greek. The, the constellation Aries is usually associated with the story of the golden fleece in Greek mythology. Like other zodiac constellations, Aries was first cataloged by the Greek astronomer Ptolemy in Al 
Almagest in the second century. Aries or Aries contains the bright stars Hamal and Sheraton, and is home to several notable deep sky objects, among them the unbarred spiral galaxy and the dwarf irregular galaxy in GC 1156. Um, Aries is the 39th largest constellation in the sky, occupying 441 square degrees. It lies in the first quadrant of the northern hemisphere and can be seen at latitudes between plus 90 and negative 60 degrees. The neighboring constellations are Cetus, Perseus, Pisces, Taurus, and Triangulum. Aries belongs to the zodiac family of constellations with Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpius, Sagittarius, Capricornus, Aquarius, and Pisces. The constellation name Aries is pronounced Aries. The uh, the genitive form Aries is used in star names is Aritis. The three letter abbreviation adopted by the IAU in 1922 is A R I Ari. The constellation has five stars with known planets and contains no messier objects. The brightest star in Aries is Hamal Alpha. Eritus. There are several well-known meteor showers connected to this constellation. The May Eritids, Autumn Eritids, Delta Eritids, Epsilon Eritids, Daytime Eritids, and Aries Triangulids. Hmm. Aries contains six formally named stars. The stars approved by the IAU are Baharani, Botin, Hamal, Lili, mm. Boria, Mesarthim, and Sheraton. Yes, babe. I'm just okay. the peanut gallery. Okay. Uh, the myths, uh, Babylonians identified Aries as the agrarian worker, the last stop on the ecliptic. The name of the constellation later changed to Ram. But why Babylonians changed it is uncertain. In the 7th century BC, Neo-Babylons did a revision of the Babylon Babylonian zodiac and placed Alpha, Eretus, Hamal very close to the vernal equinox, which is how Aries came to be so prominent amongst the zodiac signs and astrology. In those times, Aries contained the equinox, the point at which the sun crosses the celestial equator from north to south. Because of precession, slow wobble of the Earth's axis, the vernal equinox is no longer in Aries, but in Pisces. Well, that's interesting. In 130 BC, hmm. however, it was located just south of the Gamma Aretes uh, and was taken to be the starting point of the zodiac. In Greek myth, Aries is identified with the golden ram that rescued Phrixus and took him to Colchis, where he sacrificed the ram to the gods. The ram skin that he placed in a temple was the Golden Fleece, which later appears in the story of Jason and the Argonauts. And I do have yes. that story uh, more in depth. So, um, oh, well, it's on this site too. Uh, I looked for it. Yeah, it's here. Um, 
Phryx, Phryxus was the son of the Boetian king. He had a twin sister, Hele. The children had a stepmother, Eno, who da- did not like them and wanted to get rid of them. She came up with a plan to put the land of the brink of famine by making sure the wheat crops failed. When a man was sent to consult the oracle at Delphi, Eno bribed him to lie and say that Oracle asked for the king's children to be sacrificed if they did not want the people to starve. Phrixus and Hele were saved by a winged ram with golden wool. The ram was sent by their real mother, the cloud nymph Nephili, and it took both children and flew east to Colchis. Only Phrixus survived the journey. Hele fell off the ram and drowned in the Dardanelles. The strait was later renamed to Hellespont, Hellespont, or Hellespont, Spont, or Sea of Hele in her memory. Interesting thing about this is the Dardanelles are pretty much uh, right at like where they think like the city of Troy was, which was the upper part, upper Eastern part of Turkey, uh, that kind of where the Black Sea flows into the Mediterranean. And that's where the Dardanelles are. So interesting that that's like the Hell Sea or uh, Hell Spawn, like the Hell Spawn. (laughs) That's <laughs> kind of what it sounds like. Um, and then having to do with Troy and the Ram. Very interesting. Uh, oh, yeah. It's the hell spawn. Phrixus <laughs> <laughs> was welcomed by King Aethus of Colchis, to whom he presented the Golden Fleece. In return, the king gave Phrixus his daughter, uh, Chalciope's hand. Uh, so that's one of the myths. Um, the major stars in Aries are Hamal, which is the brightest star in the constellation Aries. Um, the star is 66 light years distance between 2000 and 100 BC. Hamal was located at the vernal equinox, the point that marks the beginning of spring. Uh, also, there's Sheraton, uh, Mesarthim. Um, Botin, Baharani, and Eretis. Uh, the deep sky objects in Aries are NGC 772, which is uh, like a spiral gla- galaxy. Um, or that's what it looks like. It looks like a kind of like a spiral eye. Um, there's also uh, NGC 1156, which is a dwarf irregular galaxy with an apparent magnitude of 12.3 the galaxy is classified as a magellanic type irregular galaxy or magellanic i don't know mag magellanic sure the galaxy's core is larger than average and there are regions of uh con Contra rotating gas inside, believed to be the result of an interaction with another galaxy. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and then uh, so I have this other article over here. This is from uh, Jessica Davidson. dot co. dot uk. Um, and this is Zodiac Mist, the story behind Aries. Uh, so some of this is going to be a repeat, but some of it is not. Aries is the first sign in the zodiac and marks the spring equinox in the northern hemisphere. This is the start of the astrological new year so what better time to begin a new series on the mist behind the zodiac aries as a cardinal fire is all about new beginnings so aries is a masculine sign and ruled by the planet mars which is interesting it's balanced and complemented by the opposite sign of libra ruled by venus so this is also interesting. It's Mars and Venus. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Um, Aries brings new ideas and a new hope. The rising of spring after a hard winter. Like all fire signs, Aries tends to be mythologize, uh, tends to mythologize himself and wants to be the hero of his own story or heroine. Aries is a crusader with a righteous vision of life. Where there's a mission or a cause to be fought for, you'll find Aries. Armor glinting in the sunshine. The Aries myth is about the future and vanquishing the enemy. Doing the noble deed with passion and adventure. Let's see where Aries' drive and energy comes from. Aries myths. In the summer, the Aries constellation is the ram, and it gives us the first meaning of the sign, fertility. The ram is a symbol of virility and the renewal of the life force. And to find the source of this image, we have to go back before the dawn of language in Sumer. There's a cylinder seal dated to 3500 BCE that shows two rams standing on a mound from which rises a double-headed serpent. Between the rams is a flower and standing on their backs is an eagle. The drama hmm. playing out in the seal depicts the cycle of life and renewal through death. The rams look like they're about to eat the flower, and the serpent is about to bite the rams. While the eagle pounces from above, all three symbols relate to the ancient goddess cultures and later become associated with the Sumerian god Dumuzi, consort of the goddess Inanna. Uh, and then has a quote here. And since all of the figures represent the power of the same God, the mythological theme represented is that of the self-consuming, ever-dying, ever-living generative energy that is the life and death in all things. And that's from Joseph Campbell. Originally, the fertility of the earth came directly from the mother goddess. But this evolved into the inclusion of a male consort. So the Aries ram is really a dual symbol, the ram and the you. You, the goddess and her son, consort. The goddess and her son, consort. Sounds very much like Mary and Jesus. Male virility and fertility worked in service of the goddess and in the harmony with natural cycles of life. This was achieved through the annual ritual of the sacred marriage in the spring, 
where the goddess bestowed kingship on her chosen candidate. There's evidence for the Sumerian cultic love songs and myths, but it's not clear if the ritual was performed in real life. Either way, by uniting with the goddess, the king was given the power to ensure the fertility of the land. Um, mm. This is interesting. Uh, we talked about the bowl of Dagda and how that gave like everlasting fertility from it. Uh, but it was more of fertility of plants and whatnot. But um, we talked about that on the Sunday slow burn. Uh, but Well, that's how it starts with mm-hmm. Mother Nature. Yeah, the Muzi and his flock. So the Muzi, the shepherd, is a Sumerian god of vegetation and livestock, often depicted with his flock. He was also, also responsible for the abundance of dates, which were grown all year round sometimes thought to be the fruit from the tree of life. Another symbol of the great goddess. She's everywhere. As mentioned, the new, the Muzi is the consort of Inanna, queen of heaven, and goddess of fertility, war, and thunderstorms. She also is identified with Venus as the morning and evening stars and shares many characteristics with the goddess who came after her. Ishtar, Ashtaroth, Astarte, and Aphrodite. Inanna is often depicted with lions, so perhaps belongs under the sign of Leo, but she also embodies many personality traits of Aries. She's a force of nature and endlessly fertile, a source of great creative power. Although her main focus is fertility, It's not in the spirit of the nurturing mother goddess. Nana is a fierce and independent. She's impetuous, willful, and clever with an unstoppable unstoppable erotic drive. She never takes no for an answer and is always seeking further conquest to get more power for herself. In one myth, she steals the gifts of civilization from Enki and gets away with it. She rampages around, shaking everything that moves, and pretty much does whatever she wants, until her dark sister, Arishkagal, teaches her a lesson. This is the, the descent of Inanna, where she attempts to gatecrash the underworld and extend her power over the dead, only to end up a corpse herself. It's often thought that Inanna goes down into the realm of the dead to rescue her lover, Damuzi. But the interpretation comes from later fragmentary myths based on the original Sumerian tale. In fact, she allows the Muzi to be dragged into the underworld because he doesn't mourn her death while she's gone. Joseph Campbell says that Inanna embodies the pre-patriarchal, imperious manner of the earlier matriarchs. Maybe, but her purpose is to keep life moving even if that means transgressing a few boundaries and stepping on a few toes. She isn't averse to causing fights and battles were sometimes called the dance of Inanna. Another myth says she stirs confusion and chaos against those who are disobedient to her, speeding carnage and inciting the devastating flood, clothed in terrifying radiance. It is her game to speed conflict and battle, untiring 
strapping on her sandals. Ooh. The dance of Diana, of Diana. Mm. <clears throat> War doesn't appear to have much to do with fertility and the continuation of life. What with all the killing and death? Um, but in ancient belief systems, blood is the source of life. To spill blood is to fertile the land. Mm. So battle becomes a mass sacrifice. If you want abundance, something must be given in return. A sacrifice must be made. The corn or wheat is sacrificed to produce the crop. The seeds are killed, threshed to produce the bread of life. The Muzi plays his part in the cycle too, a god of vegetation. He spends half the year in the underworld and returns to ensure the fertility of the land. A reminder that life depends on death and can only be renewed through the sacrifice of old, worn-out forms. In other words, life is always changing and becoming something new. Any, uh, hmm. any, uh, any commentary there, babe? No. <laughs> I'm going to try not to put my personal opinion in on these facts you're just saying. <laughs> you're always telling me about <laughs> spilling blood and uh, on the soil to create life right well that's how it works once you feed the ground you gotta keep feeding it yep so there's an aries myth in egypt too in egypt aries is associated with a moon so this gets into like amun ra right and his consort amunet who together represent the life force of the universe. I think this is very interesting that the sun god has a consort, right? Most of the time we always yeah. get these patriarchal type of fucking gods and shit. Uh, but oftentimes they do have a female counterpart and are married or their consort, which means their significant other, right? Uh, not even... Right having to do necessarily with a marriage tie but having to do with that's their opposite or equal opposite right i think that marriage has something to do with that as well uh that's the idea of of marriage well later kind of marriage took the place of property and uh kings would marry their daughters out to people that were invading them so that way uh, they could have their daughter, they could combine their bloodlines and then um and then you know save face for the town because oh now they're married, so now they're gonna have children, and now both sides of these warring sides are gonna be together as one. So it's uniting more than just a couple, it's uniting families, and that's why you invite your family to weddings. I'm just saying, I think it has like a deeper meaning. Like, I think that's what people are like, finally tying the knot or like tying the knot, uh, or, yeah. you know. Well, a marriage is like the union between two people and mixing them together, right? 
uh, I used to work in a bar and they would marry the liquor together, which means you pour out the remainder of an old bottle into another bottle and combine it. Uh, so okay. it's the same. It's like you're 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 taking two spirits and creating making it one, right? Um, yes, the, that's the idea. The pyramid texts describe a moon as the primeval creator and a symbol of creative power. His name means the hidden one, and he's the force behind the invisible wind. A moon is also called he who abides in all things. And ultimately, all Egyptian gods were seen as aspects of this one god. So a moon, Amunet, has a dual nature that embodies the masculine and the feminine sides of creation. This means a moon is self-creating and can take many forms. Sometimes he's seen as the great cackler, the goose who honked the first sound, the word, and so gave birth to the universe. Sometimes he lays the world egg or fertilizes the egg in his form of mm -hmm. Kemetef, the serpent. Kemetef mm -hmm. is the prim primeval one of the two lands who made himself and rose from the watery abyss at the beginning of creation. Huh? Hmm. <laughs> That's pretty interesting, huh? Considering we're talking I about on in uh Ebbs and Flow show Adam and Eve story, and here we got a whole bunch of Adam and Eve representation going on right here, then creation and the serpent, right? Oh, I want to go back like all the way to the stones. I'm not over that or the division stones and the waters. Yeah. So like <laughs> <laughs> that show is freaking cool. <clears throat> um, we really break some stuff down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> like I'm I gonna... said, I'm not going to put my personal opinion in. on. Oh, this. Come on. I'm going to, I'm going to read this again. Uh, so now that you have heard it, Think of the Bible story, and let's see uh, what we can pull out from here. <clears throat> so Amun, Amunet, has a dual nature that embodies the masculine and feminine sides of creation. Um, this means Amun. Now remember, in Egyptian mythology, Amun or Amun-Ra, uh, Ra is uh, the sun, and Amun means right. the hidden one, and um, Amen, Amun, Amun, that's all, it's the same as saying amen. It's the unseen. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's the hidden, just like God, right? So this means a moon is self-creating and can take many forms. Sometimes he's seen as the great cackler, the goose who honked <laughs> the first sound, sound, the first sound, the word, and mm -hmm. so gave birth to the universe. Sometimes he lays the world egg or fertilizes the egg in the form of Kemetef, the serpent. So does this mean that not only God in, in the garden is God, but also the serpent is a representation of God? So 
it's still him so he still wants to give mankind knowledge even though he's like oh i caught you i busted you what did you do i told you not to but he tempted them to do it in the first place to make it seem like it was their own um idea or make it seem like they did something wrong to cast that sin upon them i don't know it's very interesting though that it says that he sometimes lays the world egg which is a serpent wrapped around the egg everybody's seen that the world egg uh he fertilizes the egg in this form as kemetef the serpent kemetef is the primeval one of the two lands who made himself and rose from the watery abyss at the beginning of creation <clears throat> so it's almost like the watery serpent too is like the oceans the water of everything um so he rose from the water at the beginning of creation which could also just be meaning pertaining to uh the life waters right because eve's eve's name means life right yes so that's pretty fast um <laughs> you've like mentioned like probably three different rabbles we could go down but <laughs> <laughs> well we should bring this up uh, on the friday show for sure right um most definitely because the thought of us being um where we're supposed to be um all like one experiencing like Mm -hmm. one you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. when (sighs) we can't forget that there was something else here before we got here and it even says that in the bible remember even like nomad was like what do y'all think that was (laughs) what y'all think that weird stuff is (laughs) i'm like yeah it's the prime prima materia it's what was here before we were before the sun was here before we like were here so if that's like even bigger than what our brains can comprehend Mm. i'm down for that (laughs) Because it has to do with someone coming out of water and someone, a baptism of some sort and some sort of very strange um, things that, like I said, I don't know, but it'll be fun to bring up in our Bible study for sure. Yeah. And I wanted to say too that this is Egypt. So, remember where a lot of people from the bible come from so these kind of ideas and concepts could have been ingrained into them after a time and they just use them and and use but call them different things um so it goes on it says during during the new kingdom amon was synchronized with the sun god ra becoming amun ra and was often depicted with the ram's head. So this is why it has to do with Aries, because Aries is the ram. Aries means ram. In this form, he represented fertility and was responsible 
for the regeneration of life at the start of the year in spring. <clears throat> also, who else is represented as a ram in, in Greece? But Zeus, right? Yeah. So. Zeus is represented as literally every one of these things <laughs> that we're going to go through because that's like, that's he's why the all we have father. these things. Yeah, because he's like, In Greece. oh, I'm going to turn into this. This is what this looks like. I'm going to turn into this so I can, ex like, you know. Yeah. Well, that's it. what it said up here, too. Remember, it's it said that. Yeah, so of course Zeus is going to be um, what these constellations are as well. But like that's why they say like we are Zeus as well, because he wants to experience himself like mm -hmm. in human form. So because they're like, why the, do you want your own constellation? He's like, everybody else has theirs. And they're like, but you're <laughs> like... Anyway, um, it goes on this. Yeah, it goes. I got more. It says the older symbols of Amon should be familiar as representations of the goddess, the mound or world egg, the serpent, and a bird. In this case, they contain the opposites within them and so point back to an older source. There's also an interesting connection with Vedic astrology, which gives Aries a similar meaning, meaning to that of a moon. A moon. Here, Aries is Mesha, which means ram or sheep. But Mesha or Misha is also called Aja, which means unborn or the unmanifest potential of life bursting to come into existence. Mesha is creative energy and future possibilities vitality and life force from this is from vedic time the root or basis of misha lies in spirit but both its conflict and its purity its purity arise from the paradox inherent in making spirit manifest in a world of matter mm. fuck <laughs> Well, understanding that is yeah. vital to like even moving forward in um, having a conversation with someone like, you know what I mean, is to like mm -hmm. know that that was really uh, that there's several layers to just basic things. Even the most watered down version of our Bibles are alchemical texts. Like they mm -hmm. are alive physically. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's crazy. I'm going to read that one more time. <clears throat> the root or basis of Misha lies in spirit, but both its conflict mm -hmm. and its purity arise from the paradox inherent in making spirit manifest into a world of matter. Man, sit with that one. Amon is the original creative spirit, which out of itself generates the manifest universe. In the horoscope, the conscious, it, the conscious self is birthed in Aries, in the first house from the unconscious watery depths of Pisces and the 12th house. 
This represents a movement from source to manifestation, from collective to individual, from the oceanic bliss of the womb to the terrors of birth and life in the world. (laughs) Can you imagine? Like, I just want to buck. I just want to run. (laughs) (laughs) Ravage everything. That's what they want to do. Yeah, they're ravagers. Uh, This is the Aries myth in Greece. Uh, By the time we get to Greece, the myths have evolved again. Shepherd kings like the Muzi were the son of the Yu and were given the right to rule (laughs) by the goddess. However, the goddess was sidelined by the rise of the sun and sky gods, and the ram became a symbol of male power, wealth, and prosperity. But there are hints of the older myth if you know where to look. The Greeks, the Greeks linked a moon or Amon to Zeus, the king of the gods and ruler of thunder, lightning, and storms. He has immense phallic power and is always on the hunt for new erotic conquests. A bit like yeah. Anana. Zeus is also the god of illumination and enlightenment, which links him to Yahweh of the Old Testament. This reveals the intellectual and visionary side of Ares. It's not all about fighting. And the astrology of faith, Liz Green says, She's seen more Aries types who are dedicated to mental and spiritual enlightenment than the traditional pugnacious sportsman Aries who live for physical combat. Aries is also associated with the golden ram who rescued Phrixus and Hele, the children of King Athamas. After his ex-wife tried to kill them, the ram carried the children away on his back, but Hele could, couldn't hold on and fell to her death. Phrixus survived and sacrificed the ram to Zeus in gratitude. The golden fleece was then hung in a sacred grove where it was guarded by a dragon or serpent. So the, god belong, the grove belonged to the goddess, her again. Hmm, because that's where life sprouts from, right? This it will be us... a very common theme. Yes. Well, it's, I mean, it's even very common with the Bible and Eve. Um, this mm-hmm. brings us to the quintessential Aries myth: Jason and the Argonauts. Jason is sent by the gods on an impossible mission to retrieve the golden fleece. Please. Liz Green says this quest symbolizes the need to claim your individual identity by killing the negative father. It's about claiming sovereignty over your own life and developing inner authority by accepting responsibility for becoming a leader. The negative or terrible father is an archetype of extreme control and oppression. So this myth is about new life overthrows the old order or how life overcomes death. The king who sends Jason on his quest represents the old order that must be overthrown. 
The negative father stands for the collective values of society that have become too constricting, reflecting the fact that Saturn is considered to be in fall when placed in Aries. I.e., it doesn't function well, that sign. It may seem a bad thing to be oppressed, but being opposed provides the fuel <laughs> for Aries to find himself or herself. It forces the growth of new life. What does this sound like to you? In one word. Two words. Give me two words. Just go ahead. Conspiracy theorists. Right? Uh, scapegoats? It's, a, it's the negative or terrible father uh, archetype. It's the government that's the evil, terrible father that wants extreme control and oppression. And then it's about them trying to overthrow that old, that old power or old control, uh, life, new life, overcoming death. Uh, the king um, who sends Jason on his quest represents the old order that must be overthrown. But they did when they sent the Argo Navis. I'm just saying uh, it sounds like the same type of archetype that, you know, we deal with, with government issues and problems. They're always trying to clamp down, control us, and we're always trying to rebel and gain our own sovereignty. So it's very yeah, much that same archetype. Like, but humans, here's where I'm going to step I'm not in saying and be it's like, bad. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad or good. I'm just saying it's an archetype. It's there. It's it's always there. It's always been there. It's always going to exist there. You know what I mean? Oh, God. here's one thing that we know, even from like the Armana letters, which are older than God knows what, um, is that there will always be taxes and there will always be a government to record them. Okay. Cool story, bro. I thought that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> oh, okay. You're right. It's that archetype, though. Um, so Jason it's always must, been there. Yeah. Jason must overcome the negative father to establish his own sovereignty or divine nature. The golden fleece symbolizes the true father or inner spiritual values. Gold is associated with the idea of incorruptibility and eternal life, as well as kingship and sovereignty. The golden fleece then also provides a connection back to Amon, the self-creating, ever-present life force that informs all things. Boom shakalaka. Boom shakalaka. So how does Jason fare on his quest? Well, not so good. He jumps at the <laughs> chance to be a hero, but then does everything wrong and gets himself into a right old pickle. Jason succeeds in his initial quest for the fleece, but then makes a fateful mistake. He only exceeds with help from Medea. He only succeeds with help from Medea, who is Media, the goddess of Media. But after returning home, he dumps her for another woman. 
Medea isn't about <laughs> to accept that kind of disrespect and goes ballistic, killing their kids and Jason's new bride in true Scorpio style. Medea <laughs> is a symbol of Jason's anima or unconscious feminine side, his soul. Jason apparently dumps her because he's bored. And this reveals the shadow side of Ares, a tendency to forget that the world doesn't revolve around him and his quest to get bored when the fighting is done. But there's more to Jason's oversight than simple boredom. Jason ditches Medea because he wants a queen more fitting to his new station as king. He overthrows the old order, but then wants to seize collective power for himself, which he does by denying his own soul. They say you become mm. what you fight against, and the hero who fights against tyrants often ends up becoming one himself. And so Jason mm. becomes a tyrant. He ends up old and impotent, all meaning crushed from his life. Finally, Jason is killed when a timber falls on his head from his own mm. rotting ship. Jason fails because he's out of balance. He's, he undervalues and underestimates the power and importance of the feminine and the goddess. He doesn't honor the natural cycle of life and the need for renewal. And so death claims him. Fucking A. I almost want to just stop right there, but I still got more. That is he like, keeps going. That, that is also mind blowing in the most blissful way. To me, the way I see that and interpreted that right now in my own brain, it just makes so much sense. Uh, live by the sword, die by the sword. Well, that that um, that ship is layered in three different stories, so it has like three different masts. Yeah. You're just like talking about, like, uh, so the thing about the bow is that, um, well, well, we're not at yours yet. I just wanted to add something in like the prow of it, it was Pallas Athena so she could look in and mm. see like at any time I just thought that was interesting yeah I mean it was uh, made by the speaking oak of Dodonna 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 ooh mm -hmm. Donna Anna. So the Anna. so thus endowing it with the warning and guiding the chieftains uh who form its crew. So she pretty much runs that bitch. Uh here we get into the meaning of Ares. A more positive embodiment of Ares can be found in the story of Robin Hood. He's a champion of the poor and oppressed redistributing the wealth that he takes from corrupt authority. He enjoys the danger and excitement of battle, but has a great time hanging out with his... Um, um, uh, got some burpees. <clears throat> uh, 
He enjoys the danger of excitement and battle, but has a great time hanging out with his mates in the forest and waylaying unwary aristocrats. Robin Hood fights for change, progress, and fairness. The perfect Ares. Um, so I could read more about Russell or Robin Hood and Ares on film. Um, here's some of the films that they say the Eric the Ares character fits into uh Luke Skywalker, Robin Hood, Han Solo, Xena, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Joan of Arc, um, Wonder Woman. It has Tyler Durden and Jack on here from Fight Club, but I don't know that one. That one seems like a little bit of a reach for me, but maybe I'm just tripping. Uh, it says finding himself by fighting himself in a fight club, assisted by a gang of friends and leading them to destroy the structures that oppressed them. Ah, okay. Now I see it. Now I see it. Um, Only because the people that were on board that ship were all like heroes, like Hercules was on there. Castor and Pollux or Polyduces was on there. Polyduces. Um, yeah. You know, there's like a whole list and then like a whole entire catalog of the genealogy and then the trip that they went on and like the different ways that they had to go on it. So. It's pretty long, but it's actually really, really cool. It has so much to do with what you're saying. I'm officially done with Aries now. That was okay. it. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I read all the parts that I wanted to read, the Egyptian, the Babylonian, the Greek. Um, Jason and the Argonauts. I think I covered everything that I wanted to cover and even got into some more that I didn't know and uncovered. So that was great. Okay. And that's kind of like one of the things that we like to do on this show too is not just constellations, but the myths associated with the constellation. So as we get to go through the constellation, we also get to go through some of these myths, see how they all connect through the different civilizations and then learn more about it and that's fucking fascinating to me because so much stuff pops out and then once you start to relate the myths to the constellations and you see why all of these things were so similar and how everything comes from the fucking stars which is why the native americans said you know we're just from the stars we're star people because the turning of the stars in the sky has everything to do with what happens on this fucking planet. We are connected to the stars. We're connected. I wouldn't say they run us. I wouldn't say any of that is the sole uh, proprietor of you. We're in a marriage with it, them. How about that? Yeah. Yes, you're in a soul contract with something. It's it's it's, this uh, sort. it's a give and take. It's a pull and push. It's uh But you have free will. One, yeah, it's not one controls the other. It's both have the opportunity to seize control or sovereignty. And the cool thing about it is is like most people don't even know. So like those people got it made in the shade, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
So if you want to be asleep, like you have that opportunity, but um, unfortunately, I don't think that'll be the case for forever. What I'm saying is, is like, we're like nested somewhere, like guarded from the evils Evils. that are truly out there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. All right. What's your last consolation, babe? Come on, you can do it. Okay. So um, this is Argo Navis, and it lies entirely in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, it is east of Canis Major. It's south of Montesaurus and Hydra. It's largely in the Milky Way, showing above the uh, New York City horizon. 75 degrees in length. Uh, which covers the sky, 829 naked ice stars, culminates on the 1st of March. Um, So there it's divided, like I said, there's three stories, which is pretty cool because it has three masts, Mm -hmm. which is Karina, the kill, uh, which is 268 stars, the pupus, puppus, the stern, um, it's 313 stars and the Vila, which is the sail, which is 248 stars. Then LaCalle went through and, you know, named a few different things, but, um, it is in German. It's the sea compass, um, the compass de mer, the Pixis nautica, um, the Mariner's Compass, the Nautical Box, but every good astronomer or astrologer knows it as Pixis. Uh, Baudet called it the Loculum Funnus, the Logiline, or the Log and Line, which I think is weird, like log and line, like wood, you know. Because it's a ship. I think it's weird. Anyway, um, it's a cargo ship with no bow. Um, and it expresses like uh, some of the mixed up same characteristics as Aqueous, Pegasus, and Taurus. Uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit because we're going in alphabetical order. Um Aretos wrote um, Stern Forward Ar- Stern Forward Argo by the Great Dog's Tail is drawn, for hers is not a usual course, but backwards turned she comes as the vessels do when sailors have transposed the crooked stern. On entering the harbor, all the ship reverse, and gliding backward on the beach, it grounds. Stern forward, thus is Jason's Argo drawn. Um, and then it mentions the loss of his bow. It says, when Argo passed through the Bosporus betwixt the jostling rocks, which is like the simply gates or the simplegs or the uh plantise rocks. They're the at the mouth of the U- E-U-X-I-N-E, the Euxine Sea. So these were the like the moving rocks, like these rocks were I call them the pillars. You, you know what like pillar like would look like. I would picture that. But so the ship made it through there. Uh 
anyway, like I said, it's a three-masted argosy, meaning it's got like a Greek overlay, an Egyptian overlay, and um, it's also got uh, an er- like an Arabic story behind it as well, or like names to the stars. Uh, but the main star, like uh, in question, or like not in question, but the the main star, like. Like that's in this constellation is cannabis, um, but uh, I just want to get to the mythology. It's that this ship is builted by Glaucus or by Argos for Jason, leader of the fifty Argonauts, who whose number equaled that of the oars of the ship, aided by Pallas Athene who herself set in the prow a piece from the speaking oak of Dodona, the Argo being thus endowed with the power of warning and guiding the chieftains who form its crew. She carried the famous expedition from Aeculus in Thessaly in uh, Colchis in search of the Golden Fleece, which is the ram that you were just talking about. And man, was that not... That chase is like stupid crazy long insane and includes every freaking mythological hero from greece ever and their parents literally um anyway so it's like so basically it's a cargo ship that's like a beach somewhere like going backwards you know what i mean that's crazy to me uh but it is uh in the egyptian story it said uh, that it is the ark that bore Isis and Osiris over the deluge while the Hindus thought that it performed the same office for the equivalent Isi and Iswara. Uh, their prehistoric tradition made it the ship Arga for their wandering son, uh, steered by Agastia and the star Canopus. Um, the Phoenicians, uh, like calling it Arik, uh, signifying long, meaning that this vessel has been the first one ever of that kind launched, I guess. Um, and Isaac Newton uh, devoted much attention to it because of the culmination was 40 was 936 BC, which was 42 years after King Solomon. And if you're like even like remotely indoctrinated or know anything about like even King Solomon times, those were some crazy times. Like you had some mystical shit happening at every angle. Like (laughs) you literally were haunted everywhere you went. Like, I mean, it's nuts. So um i can only imagine anyway uh so it is also known as aqueous neptunus um ptolemy inserted that it was a horse by the inhabitants of azania the modern ajan off the northeast coast of africa alsafina um 
Markov, something to write upon is what the Arabians called it. And then, of course, like the biblical Noah's Ark, Noah Ark, uh, Archaea Noe, and Arca Noeki. So for me, that would have to do with like a sound, like an architecture of sound is how I would take that. But, um, and that sucks because I totally butchered that, but it's late and I'm tired and I'm reading and I've been reading all day. Anyway, um, um, it said, uh, the four stars marked the four quarters of heaven. Um, and the nourish the nourishers of the war world. Uh yeah. So the interesting thing about the Argo Navis whole mythos is that clearly it was pre-Homer. And what like a lot of people uh, I've speculated is that like when you even translate Homer is that it means hostage. (laughs) Mm. You know what I mean? Like they a hostage person, a hostage Arabic speaking um, person who had all of this knowledge, which was by the, the Argo Navis loads, you know, like by the boat loads for real. I'm so serious. And they just ship these people off, <clears throat> but they weren't slaves. That's the interesting part is that it's like the opposite. It'd be like, if you look up the um, genealogy of the people that were on this ship, it's insane. And the superheroes that come out of it. I mean, we might be, uh, you know, facing Janice, Jason, whomever right now, but that's okay because it could be way we could be living in solomon times could you imagine oh, my oh God, i would no. love it uh no you wouldn't how yes. freaking scary oh my god i implore you buddy how amazing I, like even I fight fucking even if monsters you don't, and demons if you don't even sword? like believe in the bible or like any type of any of that but you want a good like story that the majority of the people in the world believe because it is in multiple religious texts. Go read King First Kings. It is like crazier than a sci-fi. I'm telling you that is nuts. Anyway, <laughs> I get I get sorry, a lot of I, uh, on a I get a lot of Noah's Ark vibe from this Argus, right? Um, I get a lot of it too, because I mean, poor Noah, because after that is actually Aries, right? And doesn't it take on some of this responsibility? Like it said that, uh, so Eridu or Eriduga is the holy city of Nunki or Numpe, one of the oldest cities in the world. Uh, even in ancient Babylonia, was the kingdom's flourishing port on the Persian Gulf, but by the encroachments of the Delta, its site is now 100 miles inland, uh, where the Babylonians located their sacred tree of life. Um, Baseros described Oannes, which is this character in one of the... Um, 
three waves of the stories we're talking about. So uh, the Karina subdivision. So um, it's the human mysterious fish god, the Lord of the Waves, also known as Oannes. But uh, anyway. It's Enki. Well, listen, I'm just giving you other names. I am just saying. Uh, He was even... Uh, the father of Tammuz and Ishtar. Um, hold on. His counterpart uh, is Southern Egypt. It just says that he's the prototype of Noah. Mm. That. Yes. Hmm. And that would make sense because um, um. Noah's Noah. <laughs> Can I say like, something here? I'll, uh yeah. this kind of reminds me of how uh I just read that bit of, uh, about um Aries and how uh you know he's the embodiments of both. So he's the he's the serpent also. He's uh so he's not just the the god, but he's also the serpent. So it's like God splitting himself into two. Uh in the Sumerian uh epics of like gilgamesh and whatnot um the enuma elish it's enki who goes to utnapishtim who is the biblical noah and he's the one that tells noah to build the boat uh to save um save all the life forms uh because the evil enlil wants to destroy everything and so it's almost you kind of get that if if it's saying that the Enki God is also the same as Noah, then you kind of get that idea where he's like creating this opposite of himself to 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 do the other to do his other side's bidding, basically his his left and right brain type of shit, huh? Well, like if you speak in the terms of like hermeticism, that kind of is basically mm-hmm. what it it is it is doing. Um, because I think that there's a, a lot of uh, value in the Bible and and reading it in a lot of different ways. But that being one of them, yeah, uh, basically it is because. Um, Basically, what do you say? We're what some we? science experiment. <laughs> oh me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slaves. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for polarity, but but for reasons that I mean, are they nefarious? Are they not? I don't know. Because there's more than you know. And the more you think you know, the more you really don't fucking know anything. So it's just fun to go through and see what, like, the way things have changed since then. Like, poor Noah. I feel bad for him sitting in that cave for forever. Because I put him with also, like, Zoroaster's cave. Like, take this off my hands. I don't want this anymore. This is not my responsibility. I give this to you. It's like, he finally got rid of that burden. Yeah. And now we all have it. <laughs> That's why we're all chained to rocks. 
That's what we all want. <laughs> We're all chained to rocks, right? We are all carrying that burden around, waiting to be saved by some superhero that's just finished killing Medusa and he's going to come save us. You have no idea, like, how ingrained in so many people that actually is that it's no, like it. makes you feel bad. That. It's so <laughs> horrible. My God. Much every girl ever. Ew. Talk about like. Ugh. All waiting That's for awful. Prince Charming to imagine. come sweep them off their feet. To go live in the castle and eat champagne or drink champagne and eat strawberries. I can't get over the golden gates in the clouds. Like the pearly gates. Like the golden oh. gates in the clouds. Pearly gates. They're and uh, there'll be like so much food in the house. Like I could just remember like people saying there'll be so much food in our house. You can't even eat all the food. And I'm like, that sounds gross. That sounds awesome to me. Buffets. I love buffets. Yeah. I'm like Latin. We all are. That's why we're talking about this very topic right now at 11.54 p.m. For you, maybe. For me, but what's only 10 o'clock. What's such, also really cool about... This whole uh, time knows thing. time does not wait for knowledge to be dropped. Any time is a good time to dispense some knowledge of reality in our existence. I'm way better in the morning. I'm such a morning person. I know you versus are. like a night person. This is not my gig. I am <laughs> up like person. seven hours past my bedtime right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love being up at night. You love being up in the morning. It's a weird dichotomy, but it's that balance equal and opposite. I love the mornings and like that. I mean, this would be so much better done in the mornings. It'd be like a good way to get your day started. So what constellation? No, that would take forever. Never mind. But anyway, so. Um, well, I always have to work in the morning, so I haven't got time to be all chitty chatty. But uh, I love being chitty chatty in the mornings. But if that's if that's all you got, we can end it here, babe. Well, I mean, there's so many different rabbit holes I could go down, and maybe I'll just like sporadically uh, point them out as I'm going. Yeah, because uh, there's a lot that, that I could say about this, and the keyhole nebula coming out of it, and the other nebula. Uh, it's called the crooked billet. Ooh, the crooked uh, billet. Um. Yeah. I want to say this to everyone that's listening. If you sat through this much of this, you're amazing. Thank you. We know this can be dry and boring. We're reading from things. It's not the greatest. But it's information and knowledge that I don't know. I don't understand. And I have to read from something to get the info. But 
stay tuned because in future episodes we are bringing guests on to talk about a constellation and we're going to be doing three instead of four when we have a guest on the show and we'll each be doing one constellation each uh still keeping it in alphabetical order and next week we have gabe aka slick dissident coming on to talk about Bootis, boots. I just say boots. Bootis, 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 and so that's going to be really as Gabe would. Yeah, that's going to be fun. This is all going to be fun. No, because basically we're we're laying down groundwork right now. Ironically, the constellations um, go in an alphabetical order as well um mm. to tell a story yeah it's cyclical like anything else in life but it's it's really cool so once the like some of this groundwork has been laid it'll be like easier to be like oh okay well, yeah. how come how come the aries sign isn't the first sign alphabetically then how come it's the second because aquarius is first and Aquarius is because like uh, them are the OG signs. Two after Aries, you can't. You can change those signs up, divvy them up, do whatever I'm you just want, saying, but you can't change the order of operations. Okay. 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 <laughs> you all right, can't change them. I just wanted to say, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, shows are hopefully fun for you already. And if not, we are going to be having some guests on in the future uh, to come on and talk about constellations with us. So it's going to get more fun, more informative. And some of the guests are going to go probably to crazy more depths than you could ever imagine or we could ever find anywhere in books. So I look very much forward to that and uh, the research that they have done um, because we're seemingly bring in on people who have already looked at astrology and whatnot you know so uh to have them come on and do a a constellation with us is going to be a lot of fun uh i'm looking forward to that and that's when we can throw ideas around we should be throwing ideas around right now babe how come we can't do it now now why i'm just trying to get this the whole point is for you to put in some of your opinion with it, some of your own. My opinion. Yeah. We don't want to just hear you read. We want to hear your opinion also. That's what makes um, it fun. We already know my opinion gets out there, so. <laughs> but it, anyway. it always has a way of circling back because... Here's what here's what happens, people. Let me tell you. Morgan and I will talk <laughs> all the time, and she'll tell me about stuff, and I'll be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then, like, a week will go by, maybe sometimes just a couple days, maybe a month. And then I'll go, ah, holy shit, this is what you're talking about. She's uh, She's very prophetic, and she's always, like, a couple steps ahead of everything else that's going on and it takes me a while to catch up to that so as much as i'm like what are you talking about it always comes around and i go up oh, 
I'm the one with cake on my face. You know what I mean? Whatever. And, uh, she's always because she's fun. she's always telling me about you need blood to soil the ground because of these motherfucker blah 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 blah. And then I just read that tonight that you need to soil <laughs> the ground because that's how life gets started. I'm like motherfucker. Well, that's how right, we if we would have right never again. shed blood in the first place. Now we got these scaly fish ticking like time away, and then the bottom one eats you, right? In the Alleghenies way, <laughs> the mechanical fish. Yeah, the mechanical fish, the silvery uh, scale. The scales that turned over. So, like the scales, when they're saying the scales, I don't think that sometimes it could mean like libra like you know yeah, what you think like justice. the scales but then a lot of the times um depending on who's writing it actually means uh pisces mean. yeah uh because that is also known as like time and mm-hmm. it's even that the mirrors and the scales that's all really neat um that's also something to note mm-hmm. i mean i think yeah. like scale mail is interesting too like where do they get the idea to overlay uh pieces of metal over each other that look very reptilian like you know they must have seen dragons or dinosaurs or something i think that dinosaurs existed at the same time as people for a while and that's where the stories of defeating dragons comes from but you get a lot of people out there that yeah. think dragons are fake or uh, dinosaurs aren't real so i don't and now to those people i say good for you that's in your paradigm and my paradigm dinosaurs live with humans and i'm not allowed to think that morgan probably doesn't well everybody's me, so and it's fine and we love each other so you guys can all love each other too you don't have to agree on everything that's not what life's about. It's just about the here and the now, because I promise you some of the things that we are currently writing down, like people won't believe it. You know, like they had, they sat in podcasts and like talked to each other, like over some like black, you know what I mean? Like that's what they did. Their friends were online. Like they didn't even have friends. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to, uh, it could be a figment of imagination that uh, turns out to be manifest or maybe not. Who knows? But right now they don't exist. So that I'm aware of in my terrain (laughs) so i'm good all right thanks babe appreciate it uh thanks i had fun thanks to everybody for listening and until next time look up